for two. Um, I'm Morgan Smith. I cover education for the Texas Tribune. Um, and just a quick word about our format. Um, we're going to have about 45 minutes of discussion up here. And then the last 15 minutes uh, we'll reserve for questions from the audience. So um, there are two microphones up that you can um, line up behind. And I'll try to give you a heads up um, when we're heading to that portion of the panel. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and get started with um, introducing the folks that I have on stage up here with me. Um, to my left, I have Bill Hammond. He is the president and CEO of the Texas Association of Business, um, which he's served there in that capacity um, since 1998 and um, is a frequent uh, witness at the legislature testifying on education issues, um, especially when it comes to accountability and testing. And um, Mr. Hammond also spent uh, four years as a representative in the Texas House. Um, to his left, I have Lizette Gonzalez Reynolds. She is the chief, deputy uh, the chief deputy commissioner at the Texas Education Agency. And she has been a commissioner there since 2007. Before that, she was a special assistant in the Federal Office of Legislation and Co uh, Congressional Affairs. She began her career uh, in education policy as a legislative director to the late state senator Teal Bivens. Um, and then to the left of uh, Commissioner Reynolds, I have H.G. Chambers. He is the superintendent of the Aleaf Independent School District, um, which serves about 45,000 students in the Houston suburbs. He has been superintendent there since 2001. And he has served on campus and central administration roles uh, for about 14 years before that um, in Cypress Fairbanks ISD. So I wanted to start by just saying, you know, oh. You have one more panelist. I'm the guy that gets the vote. Oh, my so. gosh. <laughs> Representative Huberty. I was like, oh. I'm so sorry. Um, I can leave. I was rushing. I was trying to go too fast. Be happy to. No, we definitely need you. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, last so but very <laughs> most not least, uh, I have State Representative Dan Huberty, who was the co-author of legislation that I was getting ready to yeah. describe. <laughs> um, and he was first elected to the Texas House in 2010. Um, and and he is there he is a member of the Public Education and State Affairs Committee. Uh, before that, he served as president of the Humble ISD School Board. So um, the reason that we're here and kind of the occasion for the debate over Algebra 2 is are the sweeping reforms that were made to high school graduation requirements during the uh, 2013 legislative session. Uh, we had HB 5, which passed, and it reduced the number of standardized tests that high school students take, and it also changed what had been of a one-size-fits-all for uh, requirements for students to um, a graduation plan that had uh, where many students may take Algebra II, but it did not require that most students take Algebra II in order to graduate. Um, so I wanted to start with, um, with, with, sup with the superintendent chambers here and just ask, you know, you were among the you were among the superintendents that kind of led the push for the for this legislation. Um, you your input helped develop what it looked like in the end. And I was hoping you could maybe just lay out you know why 
why there was this feeling that these changes were needed and, and what the problem was that, that this legislation was trying to address. Uh, the, the impetus behind, excuse me, what ultimately became House Bill 5 was the, uh, you mentioned it was one, was the concern that many of us in the profession had about the one size. <laughs> See that's see that's on. You good now? That's not on. There you go. How about now? One, two, three. We good? There. All right. No, what I, what I was saying was that the 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 driver of the what ultimately became House Bill Five were really two things. One was uh, our concern with the direction that a very strict, limited, prescriptive uh, course offerings under the 4 by 4 what it was doing to students, and ultimately what it was doing for us, to, for the ability for us to prepare, uh, per, prepare students for meaningful post-secondary opportunities, whether it was four-year school, two-year school, workforce, et cetera. Uh, that, was, that was one driver. As it relates to Algebra two, there was never, and I've said this a a thousand times, whenever we began putting this thing together, there was never a declaration of war on Algebra Two. That was not a, there was never a desire, was there an intent uh, to ensure that, that students weren't going to be moving in the direction of Algebra Two. What we were concerned with is that there were other, we believe there were other opportunities for more meaningful courses that achieved the same thing that those who were arguing for Algebra Two could achieve. And so uh, in schools, Algebra Two is typically taught uh, as a theory-based course, uh, in many cases because it was being driven by a test at the end of that at the end of that course, and we just believe there were other fields, there were other av uh, avenues of courses to reach uh, and to and to, to benefit students on the things in which Algebra Two were 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 subscribing to. So that was our that was our original driver. It was never it was you know House Bill Five didn't come about because we were trying to remove students from taking Algebra Two. It came about with trying to create flexibility meaningful flexibility uh, for, for students to have options in the directions of the courses they were taking. Yeah, and it did, um, the discussion and, and a lot of the debate, um, certainly in the House, did kind of come down to the Algebra two requirement. I remember Chairman Acock, who's not here with us today, um, said as he laid out the bill, you know, the way you're going to vote on this bill is probably going to come down to the way you feel about Algebra II. Um, and I know, Mr. Hammond, you were very vocal in, in what your thoughts were on, um, on changing, changing this requirement. Do you want to share a little bit about what your, why, you, why you opposed it? Uh, sure, because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of debate about, uh, you know, vocational quality, uh, career and technology education, which we're strongly supportive of, and going to a four-year institution. And our perspective is that uh, it's, it's not just about four-year institutions, it's about community colleges. For kids to succeed at the community college level, which is required for two-thirds of the jobs that are being created today, and which is required to you, you get a certificate or an associate's degree in a particular area. In other words, you go beyond high school and be successful and not have to take remedial courses and give up. Algebra two is one of the best correlations to whether or not you can succeed in making you ready. Uh, that's why we joined with the, uh, when it got to the state board on the endorsement issue, uh, we, we joined with the Texas Latino Education Coalition, which includes LULAC, MALDEF, Tamak, et cetera, La Raza, 
on and on and on because they realized that this course was so important as to whether or not a kid was going to succeed. It's not about whether you have, it's, it's about doing both. It's about beginning career and technology education in high school, which is appropriate for those who choose to. But it's also about getting kids ready so that they can, you know, beyond ninth grade decide, wait a minute, I need to go to a community college if I'm going to get a decent job that pays me a decent wage that allow me to support my family. Let's not be cutting off that decision, you know, in eighth grade or a ninth grade as to whether or not they, they have that path open to them. That, that's our concern. I mean, today in Texas, only about a quarter of our students, or even less by some measures, graduate career or college ready. And a standard of that would be, can you go to a community college without having to take remedial courses? Remedial courses are a disaster. They're a roadblock for so many of our children, and more than half the kids who graduate from high school have to take the remedial courses. Shut them off. Okay, I'll yeah. shut up now. Okay. <laughs> um, Representative Huberty, I mean, these, this, this issue definitely came up when this legislation was being passed. Um, were there, how did you try to address it when you were crafting the bill, and, and how do you respond to some of the concerns that Mr. Hammond raises? Well, you know, Bill and I have had numerous debates on, on this, and, and, you know, I have a, my, my opinion is that kids learn different today. Um, the way that they, if you think about how did you learn, um, even you, Morgan, as young as you are, you know, how did you learn back then? You didn't have iPads and computers and all the other things that the kids have today. And, and Algebra 2 is one component, obviously, of what HB 5 was. Uh, I will tell you, though, is that school districts like uh, 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 Humble, Houston, uh, Goose Creek, Friendswood, places like that in Houston are starting kids in ninth grade in the distinguished program. Distinguished program means you're going you're to take Algebra 2, and then you're able to opt out. The intent, of the, the intent of what we're trying to do here is that we're saying that we understand that math is important. We, we're not suggesting for one second that math is not important. But we're also recognizing that there are, there are pathways that we want to create for students. And creating the, you know, the basic foundation program, which people are saying is a bailout, I completely disagree with because you have students that are not graduating from high school because there's certain, there's certain limits uh, to, to their, their aptitude in a particular subject matter. And so the intent was we work with a coalition of individuals. It wasn't, this was not done you know, that we just decided to, you know, put it in the oven and bake it, and we're going to see what comes out of it. I mean, we met with all kinds of groups, you know, the superintendents. We met with the business community. Uh, obviously, uh, TAB was very involved, uh, uh, all the different businesses. And there was a differing, there was a differing view, and I think Chairman Aycock um, really took a, 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 a position that we're going to try and be inclusive with everybody and, you know, and working with Senator Patrick and making sure that we got that done. So... I disagree that, you know, you can't, I don't think we can say if we don't take Algebra 2, you're not going to be successful. I disagree with that. 14 years ago, it wasn't a requirement in the state of Texas, and it was put into law 14 years ago that you had to have Algebra 2. So what happened, you know, to everybody that graduated from high school 14 years before? How many people took Algebra 2? Well, you might have taken it because you wanted to go to a top 10, you know, you wanted to be in the top 10, or you wanted to, you wanted to get there. But it's creating opportunities for people to be able to learn different subject matters and, and learn that say, you know, if you're going to go into a particular field that may not require Algebra 2, you know, we're allowing those pathways to get there. But, once again, if you want to be in the Distinguished Program, that's, that's the path that you're going to have to take. Um, Superintendent, go ahead. Just, just real briefly, I want to... The, 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 the idea of, uh, under the new foundation plan and the endorsements, that students are going to take four years of math and five years of math. Uh, what, what we and what I support 
And there are institutions around this city that are very involved in mathematics and creating mathematic curriculums that are telling you that telling us the same thing, that there can be other courses equivalent to the Algebra two problem-solving skills, critical thinking skills. There are other courses that are more meaningful in career pathways and in degree plans. As a matter of fact, right now, the college algebra, if everyone in this room who took out college algebra is your first math course when you went to college, less than 50% of the students in going into higher ed today are taking that same college algebra course. You have them taking quantitative reasoning. You have them taking st statistics. And the reason they're taking quantitative reasoning or stat is because that's what their career plan, that's what their major calls for. That's what's going to be most beneficial to them. And what people like Harvard under the Pathways to Prosperity Report are telling us is, is we have to start that conversation that's being had at the higher ed level. We have to start it much earlier. We have to start it, yes, at eighth, ninth grade. We have to start talking to children about those types of plans, those types of futures. So Algebra two is going to be, and pre-Cal and Cal, are going to be courses for our STEM kids, for students who are, that, they're still going to be taking those courses. The vast majority of our students are going to be taking Algebra two. But there is going to be a segment of our population who are going to be better served from a mathematics preparation, from a career preparation, by taking courses that we have asked the state board to develop along the lines of quantitative reasoning and statistics. Yeah, and I, I want to bring Commissioner Reynolds in on this because developing those alternative courses is something that, and kind of making sure that those alternative courses to Algebra II, um, that enough of them exist and that they are kind of serving the needs that that we that we need them to with these students. Can you kind of bring us up to date with where the TEA and the SBOE is with with these alternative courses? Well, they're in production right now. So I think for us, you know, this is about the most important piece of, of this whole issue is implementation of House Bill 5 and ensuring that that each of those pathways don't lead to a dead end. And as was mentioned before, there are a lot of school districts that have decided that Algebra 2 is going to be part of their plan and their areas for their kids. And so then it's about creating those pathways within those endorsement areas to make sure that, that they do are able to achieve what they need to achieve. I mean, for us at the agency, the Algebra 2 debate is over. I mean, the legislature's made their decision, the state, boards have the state board has made their decision, and so for us it's really about how do we ensure that the implementation of this bill does continue to raise the bar for kids in the state of Texas. And, and, and then as an aside, I mean, for me, you know, I sat on a panel in July at Education Commission of States talking just about Algebra two. And I think for us and for other states like Florida and Arizona, it isn't about Algebra 2. We all know Algebra 2 is important. It does promote critical thinking. It is a good opportunity for all our kids. It is an access issue for many of the minority groups. We don't want to eliminate Algebra 2. But what happened in Texas, and, and I think to be honest, was the backlash against actually putting the high stakes on, the, on Algebra 2 itself. Unfortunately, as much as we would love to say all our kids are all this one-size-fits-all and they're all on that pathway and they're all going to be able to pass 15 end-of-course exams, the system wasn't ready to absorb that yet or, or, or wasn't ready to be able to create that situation for the kids. And so what the backlash was wasn't Algebra 2. It was creating a high-stakes test that said that if you didn't pass this Algebra 2 test, the end of your junior year, you were not going to graduate. And how many times were you going to be able to take it before you actually got to that stage? 
So, so for me, that's the context that we have to kind of really think about now. It isn't about Algebra 2. It's where we go from here. Go ahead. Uh, you know, I mean, the high-stakes testing have been beat to death, but how high-stakes are there when you only have to get 37% correct on your test to pass it, which is the cut score on the Algebra 1 test currently, and the same for biology. I mean, it's a multiple-guess test. If you randomly select answers, you get a 25% score. So the bar, you know, on this high-stakes test ain't very high. As a matter of fact, if we actually enforced the goal, which should be, in our opinion, to produce kids who are career or college ready as they graduate from high school, only about 20% of our kids actually do that today, uh, as witnessed by how many achieve some accreditation or beyond high school after 10 years after eighth grade, uh, you know, the standard is simply uh, not that high and not too high and, and a reasonable one. And there's another issue inside of this. It's not just about the testing. Uh, we argued for including Algebra two in all the endorsements. And the state board, uh, they, the legislature, in its wisdom, uh, just said we're going to give this decision to the state board. The state board, in our opinion, unfortunately, uh, decided not to include them. I mean, it's, it, do we really want to say in, in ninth grade or tenth grade that, you know, STEM or engineering is not going to be a, a possibility because you're not going to take Algebra two? Are we going to say that we're going to hold these kids to a higher standard with the hope that a higher percentage of them will actually graduate so they can succeed in post-secondary, which is necessary to get a decent job. So, I, I, so Bill, I mean, I think, though, what now we're talking about, again, we have what we have. We have five in Well, we can change it next year. Oh, sure. But right now we have what we have. And part of the problem is exactly that. We, we do have this low-cut score in Algebra 1 because our kids aren't achieving proficiency or advance on Algebra 1. So why can't we, again, put our focus on making sure that 80, 90% of our kids are mastering Algebra 1 because naturally, I think the natural progression will be these kids want to take geometry because they're successful. Once they're hitting that Algebra 1 and they're seeing that they're barely passing the test, then why would they want to go take geometry? Why would Algebra 2 even be something they would even think about in the future? We really have to now start thinking about how we really put the kind of teaching and learning that needs to happen in K through 8, so that when those kids go into ninth grade, they can knock out that Algebra 1 test, and then they can make those decisions about those pathways they want to go. The other thing is, school districts are taking the bull by the horns. They are saying, I want this for our kids. And so we're going to focus to make sure that our kids are being successful, moving ahead, so that at the end of the day, Algebra 2 isn't going to be a barrier. So we have to celebrate that, that we have to celebrate those superintendents and the ones that are working towards creating these more applied courses so that kids are, do have that opportunity in, a, in the post-secondary world, whether it's an institution or in a career. I want to clarify this whole 37% deal. Because 37% of the questions being answered correctly would allow you to meet standard, does it mean that, the, that 70% should be the, the measure? If you take the SAT and you take the ACT, you don't have to get 70% of the questions right to be scored at a college readiness level. It's based on the reliability, the validity of the questions on the assessment. So we're not, we're, if you, because I can assure you, you can take the SAT and not, not get 50% of the questions right in some cases, and based on those questions, based on the way the questions are structured, based on the way you, the responses, those would be considered correct answers. 
So just flatly saying that 37% is correct when everyone's perception who, do not, who don't do this for a living thinks it's a zero to 100 scale, is, that's an intellectually dishonest way to approach it. I am not arguing that we need to be moving the bar up and measuring, but I don't want people to walk away thinking that 37% on a zero to 100 point scale is how this is being measured. I will never ever defend the test tape making company, but they do use and they do take reliability and validity measures when they look at the type of questions that's being asked. Our job, to quit arguing about whether it's 37%, 47%, 70, I don't care what the percent is, is to make sure that we're progressing students within that skill, whether it's an algebra one, geometry, or whatever. Well, yeah, and let's, let's not get too sidetracked into that, but because super- Can we just say one thing real quick? One thing, okay. okay. All right. Inside the bowels of the agency, based on the, you know, creating the test, there is data to indicate that 65% correct on algebra one is career or college ready, a predictor. It's there, it exists, so anyway. Okay. Um, Superintendent, I wanted some of the things that Commissioner Reynolds brought up about, you know, school districts working with kids just to get them to, you know, whether it's 37% or what the, what the cut score is, working to bring students to be proficient in, even in just Algebra 1. Um, how, what are some of the challenges that you're facing and how are you, how are you addressing those challenges in, in your school district? Uh, our... In- and I, I'm not just speaking for A-Leaf, but, but in, in many urban, large urban fast growth districts, our first challenge on whether it's Algebra One or ELA or any other course is the number of limited English proficient students that we're, that we're having to address. We're, we're having to address, before we get into quantitative reasoning or Algebra One, we've got to help a large percent of our student population understand the English language. And so we're, that's, a, that's a, a huge challenge. What are we doing? We have language acquisition campuses where students are brought in before we put them on our comprehensive campuses, we put them into a, uh, a total immersion, if you will, at the secondary level. Uh, we are working double blocking many students. If they're unsuccessful in Algebra One, then we're, and they're taking, they're unsuccessful in Algebra One into course exam, and they're taking geometry, we're having to go back and help remediate and, and provide developmental opportunities for them to be successful in Algebra One EOC. But if you want to know the number one obstacle in many districts right now, it's, it's, it's the number and the, the rising percent of our ELL students, our English language learners. That's our number one challenge, among others. But that, that's by far the, our, our biggest challenge. Bill, did you? Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm like never, had, I mean, I, yeah. I can, you know, teachers and you all in the educational establishment have an extremely difficult job. I, I, I give you that for absolutely for certain. And this is, this is a major issue. I mean, I think you got the, that and poverty, basically. Poverty is the common denominator of those who are difficult and expensive to and hard to teach. And I mean, but, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, we, those are the children, that, those, those are the future of Texas. You know, 65% of our kids in public school are on free and reduced lunch. So that's the, that's the future. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, but we we got it. We've got to do better. We got to figure it out. Yeah. Well, and I think that this this touches on some of the um, criticisms that came up in the debate over HB five, just about how it would hurt progress with um, trying to close the achievement gap between uh, children from low income backgrounds and their peers, um, because it and really just hurting students in general whose families aren't as engaged in their education because it didn't automatically put everyone on this the college ready track. Um, you know, either the distinguished plan where you would take algebra two, or um, in the, 
or to allow them to select the STEM endorsement. It, in, in fact, one of it, it doesn't even require that school districts offer all five of the endorsements. Um, you know, a school district could feasibly just not have the resources to do that and only offer um, the multi, multidisciplinary endorsement. So I'm just wondering, um, Commissioner Reynolds, from the agency's perspective, are, do you feel like there is a way, that the state has a way to view what all the school districts are doing um, as a whole with the implementation of HB5 to make sure that there's not going to be the, the access issues that have, that, that have been brought up, that you know, poor school districts aren't going to have more limited options than school districts that have more resources and that kind of thing? Well, I think that's why the commissioner's talking about this idea of the accountability system and really kind of shifting the focus from you know, just one from just the test into what other school, what school districts are actually bringing to the table. Is there a way to incentivize school districts so they do offer more endorsements or even provide more resources so that they can? I mean, we're hearing about rural school districts, the ones that supposedly were going to be the most hard-pressed to offer all five endorsements, saying we can do it. We really think we can do it. We're going to get with our partners in the other rural areas to try to figure out whether it's through virtual learning and through other access points to provide all five endorsements. So, I mean, I think it's really just this matter of, of really trying to work with our school districts. I mean, the hammer is helpful, but it can't be the end all anymore, right, for our school districts because it creates the backlash. And, 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 and we honestly have, since House Bill 72, we created this system of accountability and assessment. And we've moved it, but, but we haven't really changed it with the times. I mean, it's always been kind of this hammer at the end of the day. So how do we ensure from the state perspective that school districts are, are, are accountable to their taxpayers, they're doing the things they need, they're accountable to their parents and to their kids, and they're doing the right things for their kids in their communities, but at the same time using their resources towards making sure that they're success, but then at the other side also Join them, joining them in praise and, and, in, and, 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 and in some sort of, I don't know, kind of kudos for what they are doing. And again, I mean, I've talked about this before. I mean, we saw the Rio Grande Valley. We saw the, a lot of the border areas just kind of take the bull by the horns and say, we want to do something. And we need to talk about that some more because I think we can help. And I think folks like HD can also help other areas in the burbs where there is this huge shift in demographics and this, you know, this new population and how they can all, where we can all work together so that we do provide the, 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 the pathway for success. If we shouldn't, at the agency, if we allow any of these five endorsements to become a dead end for kids, then shame on us. Mr. Well, I mean, oh, oh I'm sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, right. yeah. you guys can have a conversation. <laughs> no, no, no. Elected uh, officials first. You know, look, uh, I, I, I've listened to a little bit of this. I mean, let's, let's focus for a second. You know, when we talked about HB5 and we talked about Algebra 2, and I know we've moved on a little bit from that, the intention is what? To make sure that we're trying to get kids out so they can either be productive members of society, right? Um, whether that's in a job or two-year college or community college or four-year college or whatever it is. I mean, that was the intent. So when people say the bill was criticized, it was criticized by people that didn't get their way in, in some regard because we didn't do exact, and that's how you know, legislation works. If it doesn't go exactly the way that you want it to go, it's like, oh, this is, a, this is not a good piece of legislation. 
I think that what the chairman did and everybody that, that was involved were trying to take a lot of information and create the mechanism um, to make sure that every child is going to be given a, a, a quality education as required by the Constitution. And so we are, you know, our opinion, or at least my opinion, and I talked to the chairman about this, is that, you know, we need to let this work. You know, and, and people are criticizing, right. saying, well, we can fix it next session, we can well, do this or we could do that. But, but I think we need some time to see, is this working? And, is it, and I will tell you this, as a parent of somebody that is in ninth grade, so the first group of students that are going to graduate with now this new requirements that are in there, I will tell you that the, the, what the uh, TEA has done or, you know, the, the, or communicated down to the superintendents, and HC probably knows this, but I talked to Guy Sconzo about this, um, we saw the interaction with the counselors. That is going to be a critical component of the student's success as we go forward because you're right. There are going to be students whose parents are not as involved, or it could be a single family, or it could be a lot of different issues, foster care, or you know, it could be a lot of different things that are out there. And so we recognize the importance of the counselors, and I gave a speech about a month and a half ago to the group of counselors, and I said, your jobs is going to be the toughest jobs in the schools as we go forward, because you got to make sure that those kids don't fall through. You know, those kids, we got to capture those kids and push them in the right direction and accelerate them, because if they're not getting the help at home, we got to help them, uh, and we got to look and say, how do we, and, 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 and with that is going to be a, one of the things we may have to look at is, you know, how do we make sure that the school districts have the resources to be able to do that? Because that's where sure. the problem may be, is that they may not have the resources to be able to provide that additional help to those students. And I don't know if you agree or disagree, but that's going to be critical, I think. We, well, I mean, counselors, from the very day we started talking about endorsements, counselors were going to be the pivot point as to whether it was going to be successful or not. And, and I will agree, and, and we're working hard to ensure that there's resources there to, to, to be provided. Just real briefly to the point about, and, and, and Bill brought it up, and it's, and it's, it's a valid point, uh, are we... In many, many cases, we're, you know, the perception is, are we asking students to make decisions? Are we asking parents to make decisions on the future of their child in the eighth grade or the ninth grade? What courses are they going to take? What, what coherent sequences of, of, of uh, courses are you going to take? And I will remind people that aren't in public education that we've been doing four-year plans for a decade. I mean, we, we put down and we have been writing four-year plans. All we're doing is calling it an endorsement and, and helping with a, slight, with a slight amount of input from students and families about what is it you're interested in. And so we just called it an endorsement to legitimize all the endorsements so that STEM didn't be perceived as anything greater than someone going into the business or the industry uh, sector. So that was, that was the rationale behind that. And I would also remind, uh, and this is what I think the state board got really right. I mean, the state board, they didn't give us permission to offer advanced math courses across the board that just any old math course is going to be concluded as, a, as an advanced math. Very strict. Algebra 2, there's some new courses that are being developed as we, as we speak. Uh, the college preparatory math course and the college preparatory English language arts course, which if you're not familiar with those two courses, in my estimation in five years, those will be the most important math courses we teach in our schools. Because those courses are actually courses that have been developed when you get a college professor who teaches mathematics in the same room as a high school algebra one or algebra two teacher, and they talk about and they vet out what is it that out that college algebra or that physics, excuse me, geometry or that quantitative reasoning professor, what is it you expect out of these kids when they get here? We have never had the conversation. Those those instructors have never talked. So so our we're we're teaching teaks like crazy, 
And then we sit down with the college algebra professor, and he or she says, we're not even, you know, half of this stuff right here, we're, we're, we're not really paying attention to. We want kids to be able to do this. Well, these college prep courses are going to actually take the place of the developmental ed courses, and that Bill mentioned, it's a, it's a dead end for students when they go to college. And those are the courses we're going to try to implement. And in my opinion, and I'll debate this, in my opinion, those are advanced level courses because they are actually preparing students to be college, take, to take a college credit-bearing course their first year in college. So those are things we're doing. Mr. Hammond. Okay, just quickly, uh, you know, we, we, we will support fully funding growth, okay? I want to make that clear. Right. We, we will support more money for counselors. I want to make that clear because I agree with both of what you said. Counselors are the key. We have to have good counselors, and we need more of them. Right. What is it now, 400 to 1 or something like something that? Like I think? that yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's not okay. Uh, but regard to the hammer of accountability, I have to push back a little bit on that. Uh, under the current system, 90% uh, of our districts and 85% of our campuses, quote, met standards. And only 8.5% of our campuses, quote, needed improvement. I mean, needed improvement is not exactly the scarlet letter A. Uh, you know, my wife tells me I need improvement every day of my life. Uh, so needing improvement is not that harsh a hammer, if you will. And when you compare those numbers to the fact that and I think I disagree on, on uh, uh, graduation rates. I think it's around 75% of ninth graders graduate in four years. And there's others that actually agree with us on that, like uh, uh, IDRA and some other groups. Um, and if you look at the raw data, that supports it. Plus, you have the whole scandal in Dallas where they're uh, creating these fake plans for kids. And James Madison is showing a 97% graduation rate. I don't, I don't think there's anyone uh, who's familiar with James Madison that thinks that 97% of their kids are graduating. And at a time when only about 20 or 25 percent of our students graduate career or college ready, 90 percent of our districts are meeting standards? I don't think so. And I think that an A through F system could drive change as it did in Florida. Jeb Bush said that system would, did more to drive change and increased academic performance than all the other things they did combined. We talked about it. There was some support for it, but it didn't happen last session. I, I would say that also I think very little will happen in the K-12 space next session. I agree with you entirely, but I hope that that's one of them that happens. Well, Commissioner Reynolds, why don't you respond to... Yeah. Yeah. We, we need more information about what's going on in these schools. I mean, today, I can honestly say I kind of know what's going on at my kids' elementary school, um, but do I really know the state of education either at AISD levels, in a regional central Texas level, or at the state level. So what, are, what is really happening at these local districts to make kids be successful? A, yes, a test is a critical piece of accountability, particularly from the state perspective. But how do we empower our parents with more information about what does it mean that they didn't meet standards, or what does it do if, for those 90% that did meet standards? Well, are they all on the same scale? Well, we don't know that. That was a generalization that was created by the legislation, but it also opens up the door for more opportunities for discussion. What do we really want in our accountability system? What is the information we want to provide to our parents that empower them to make the choices that they want to make within the confines of their school district or even elsewhere? So, so that's what I'm getting about, about accountability. I think we really need to just transform what it means so that we have the kind of public reporting system, whether it's just a public reporting system, but all the data is out there front, front and center for parents to understand. And then you have kind of a, a, an accountability system that truly measures based on t 
tests, acquisition of, you know, whether or not they go to college, where they go after college. I mean, there is a need for data to be able to share. We have that. We have us. that data. Houston but we Endowment haven't did quite it. centralized it, right? We really don't know when a kid goes through their public ed system and then they make a choice. Where do they go? If they drop out, where do they go? There, there are some examples out there in the states, in, in other states like Kentucky, where they are actually bringing together. They actually have this centralized data system where they're tracking kids from kindergarten all the way into the workforce. And it's really telling them, you know, well, Superintendent, you know, Holiday, I know you think your kids are going here, but they're, at, you know, they're going to college, but actually they're going to the technical school. Well, and, and Commissioner, I wanted doing. to kind of ask you just about kind of that central point that, that Mr. Hammond brought up. But, I mean, is an accountability system where, you know, about, about 90% around there of, of school districts, you know, meet standard, um, 10% need improvement. Is that does that provide an adequate hammer to ensure that you know if a school district is dinged, that um, that that the state will be able to ensure that 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 they're um, you know making sure that they're serving students. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I think again, but you have to delve into the data to really understand what that level of met is. We don't really know that. Yes, that's a flaw. I think. I, agree. I mean, there's four indices. You know, you so, you have a lot of detail within the. Within the but, but it's not really dissected out. What is it really? I mean, again, there's going to be some schools at the very top of the MET standard, and there's some down oh, at the I, bottom. Oh, I, really I agree. That's what I'm saying. We're not being that told that. That's why we, we need A through F. We don't have enough information yet. We really haven't figured out what, is the, what does that mean. And, and again, I think that's part of our job is to really figure out what, what is the state of education truly in Texas? We don't know. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I think we... Yeah, but, I, you know, I can tell you that was a big debate on the floor. Um, I mean, that was a very heated debate on it, and I think Bill and I, you know, we've talked about that, and that was, you know, something that I thought, you know, we were pushing for, and I, right. I pushed right. for it. I, was, yeah. I, was, I, I didn't disagree with you on that. Uh, the You're pushback, referring to the A through F? Yeah, the pushback ratings. on it was significant, though. I mean, it was, it was, it was just because people were saying, well, you know, comparing it to, well, well if our school's an A and, and, you know, right next door is a, is a B, then everybody's going to move to the A district. I'm like, it's not going to work like that. Right. You know, that's not, I mean, but that was the arguments that everybody was bringing up. So, you know, that didn't obviously make it through. And so, you know, where we're at is, is you know, those are going to be some of the education reform issues that we're going to be discussing next year. And, 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 I, and, and, and I should say, it's not when I say we're not going to do anything in K-12. There's, look, there's... Four, four or five thousand bills filed every year. Let's just say, you know, a lot of them are resolutions and stuff like that. You know, the crux of the matter is, let's say there's two thousand pieces of legislation filed. There's about seven hundred pieces of legislation filed with public education. You know, how thick public education or the education uh, code is. It's about that thing. Yeah. And, and and what's amazing, if you actually read it, there's 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 language in there that competes with each other. It, sure. It's it's the craziest thing that you've ever seen. And what happens is legislators come to town and they say, oh, I'm going to fix it because they were mad at their school board or they're mad at something happened, and everybody wants to do something with education. Um, you know, but if we really want to reform and we want to push kids, we need real ref we need some we we do need some reforms, and there, there's some things that we need to do, and we need to let school districts be independent school districts. We need to let the superintendents manage their business. An accountability system, <clears throat> let me say, let me speak to A2F real quick. An A2F system is not going to change behaviors. It's not as though, Bill, that you put a, a letter grade on us and we're going to say, oh, now we're going to bring our A game. We haven't been bringing our A game, but now that we've got an A, B, or C, we're fixing to ratchet it up a little bit. 
whether it's called unacceptable, whether it's called improvement required, whether it's called you're not worth a flip, whatever you want to call it, districts and campuses are busting their tails right now trying to use this test information to diagnose where kids are and then help them grow. So you can label it what you want. I will argue to the, until someone makes a decision against that because that is not going to change the behavior of a campus, of a teacher, of a principal, of a superintendent, of a school board on how we use the test information. We use test data right now in this Texas, in Texas. Teachers teach out of fear out of a label. Principals lead out of fear because of a label. Superintendents lead out of fear because of a label. We do, those, there are many that are beginning to, to fight back and say, forget the labels. We don't even care. We're not even broadcasting it. And I'll tell you what districts are doing right now. Again, whether it's A through F, whether it's meet standards, improvement required, we give about 30 seconds of lip service to it and say, and then we start using the House Bill 5 community and student engagement to tell the community, here's how we're really doing. Mm-hmm. Yes, test results are a part of it. And we're using the results of those tests to help grow those children that, we're, that they're enrolling and that we're struggling with. But I'm going to tell you right now, a label is not going to drive the types of changes that you want and that you desire, that we all want and that we all desire. We have to be able to use test information. We have to be able to use that data uh, for the right reasons, under the right circumstances, uh, with the right processes in place, not because we're scared to death of some label. Um, Mr. Ham, I'm going to let you respond. Yeah, no, okay. I'll let you well, I mean, respond, I think and then I, I we're going to open a, it for questions. On the A through F, I mean, both chairs of both committees supported that early on, and it didn't, didn't happen, I understand. Uh, but I think in, in, uh, the one thing about it is the drove change in Florida, according to Governor Jeb Bush, and the other thing is the parents understood what that, what that meant. And so if you don't want to give A through F for the schools, why do you give A through F for the students? Why don't we just scrap the grading system, and like they do in Dallas, no matter whether you come to class or not or attend schools, you, you get a diploma, and we can move on from there. And then can I give one factoid on the accountability? Yeah. Okay. You've you got to take five. You've got to pass five tests in Texas to graduate from high school currently. So, and I think you supported me on this, uh, Superintendent Chambers, on the uh, Advisory Committee on Accountability. I'm not sure, but we, we discussed this issue. We, our recommendation to the commissioner was that if you have to pass only two, that they be to be considered career or college ready, which really wasn't a true measure of that, but that was going to be the, the uh, measure of it. You, you had to do English and math. Right. Well, commissioner said you can pass any two. So in the system, you could pass uh, biology and history. You could fail the two English tests. You could fail the math test, not be qualified to graduate from high school, but be counted as career or college ready for the purposes of accountability. Commissioner, did you want to re- take the opportunity to respond to that, and then we'll get to questions? Again, it is about what is really happening out there. And, and, I, and I do believe, for me personally, and I'm not speaking for the commissioner or for the agency, but if school districts are, if we have data, we can dissect the data that show kids are college and career ready, are knocking out of the park, they're graduating, and, and the data is embedded there and it shows, then why are we in their business? I think we need to step away and let the successful ones move forward and really focus the resources, because what is the role of the agency, which is something else we're struggling with? Really focus our resources on the, on the school districts that are, that are struggling in partnership as opposed to, unless they're completely honorary, then of course, yes, we've got to use the hammer as big as we can. But again, I think for the most part, there is an in-between where school districts truly are trying to tackle these issues that they have be, that they're being faced, and part of this is making sure that academic achievement is a part of it. And and so, but we but we, 
us versus them is not getting us anywhere. And I know you want to take questions. I just want to say two, two quick things because I agree with what HD said. You know, when, when, when I was on the school board, you know, we did a stack ranking of our, of our schools, and we looked and said, okay, where do we need help? You know, clearly we know based on demographics which ones may do better than the others. Uh, but I will tell you, the school districts need to be able to manage their business, and, and, and it's, it's exactly what I said before, is that, you know, we need to stop, you know, we need to take away some of these laws. We need to give them some, some ability to do their jobs a little bit better. And they do care. I mean, you go in and you look and you see, I mean, they do want to perform. They do want to do the right thing. And, yes, are there school districts sometimes that don't? That's, some of it is a, is a dysfunctional part of their school boards. You know, that's really where you have problems. And so, you know, if you have good people that are engaged and care and they want to run their school district as a professional organization and let their superintendents be the CEO of the school versus being micromanaged uh, for some political agenda, which happens, as you know, all the time, uh, you know, we can, we can have some more flexibility within the schools. And I know you want to do questions. So. I'll start with uh, Professor Martyr. Thanks. Uh, Michael Martyr, you teach program UT Austin. There is a point about Algebra 2 and HB 5, which I think is very important and hasn't been brought up, so I would like to bring it up, because I think it's going to be very significant for kids, um, which is that the handoff from high school to community college and colleges, I think, is right now broken in the following way, that students used to be able to take Algebra 2, take the Algebra 2 end of course exam, and thereby be certified TSI ready for math and go into community college without having to take any additional mathematics examination or developmental coursework. But whatever you think of how much the math is work, the path is gone. The ticket is gone. The students can't do it in that way or any similar way available at scale anymore. So I think that at least somehow has got to be fixed or there's going to be a flood into developmental mathematics of terrible proportions and bad consequences. But you're, making the, you're making the assumption that now, and I'm just giving you my perspective from a teacher's perspective. You know, when did we say that, that, that I don't know if Pearson's in the room or not for the testing group, when did we decide that the standardized test is the be-all, end-all? Don't the teachers still teach? Don't they still take coursework? Don't they still take classes? I can tell you right now, sir, um, you know, my daughter's taking pre-AP geometry in ninth grade. Uh, it takes her about uh, three hours of tutoring a week and everything else to be able to get through that. And she's learning it as she's go. They struggle. These kids do struggle. But you're making the suggestion, that would be the a presumption that the teachers are not teaching and they're not taking any tests at all in school, which is a fallacy. They are taking plenty of tests. And, we, and it, 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 I get, I get uh, you know, um, a little hot about when the fact is say, well, we've got to have these five tests. These kids are taking multiple quizzes, tests, homework, every single day. And so I, I think that there is, a, there is a standard there. And it's the teacher's grade book and saying, this, te- this kid needs help to be able to pass this course. And the whole intention is, the whole intention is, is that if this kid is struggling in algebra in algebra two, then they have the ability to be able to graduate from high school. But I don't think we're saying that we, we don't care about it. We do, but you know, I can tell you right now, that this person's not voting for an extra EOC. And the college prep courses were were designed just to address the developmental ed issue yeah. you talked about, is so that we get those developmental ed courses in high school before they get to a yeah. community college, yeah. where less than five percent of them actually move on to to any associate's degree. So that, we completely understand that and agree with that. That's the purpose of those courses. So can, can I just okay. briefly just say Just get one question, buddy. Just so we can get to I should respect that And question. maybe we can finish. Um, okay, next question. 
Um, I'm a special education math teacher for middle school in Dallas ISD, sorry. And I just know that one of the things that we talked about earlier was the importance of that K through 8 piece. Um, and I was just curious what your recommendations were as far as refocusing the K through 8 piece to help support what's happening at the high school level. In the sense of, I'm sorry, in the sense of, I mean, I, 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 again, I think that's just, um, where we really got to work with our school districts to really start thinking about what it is that we're doing. I mean, right now, I think we have um, the opportunities. We have a system right now that's focused on that. I do personally believe that if we take away any of the, more of the assessments in the, K, in the three through eight system, that that's going to hurt. Because it helps, again, it helps school districts take the information figure out where their kids are, and then figure out how to support them. And, and I think as a state, we have to figure out how we provide those supports to ensure that at the end of the day, we're partners with school districts to make sure that those kids are, are achieving in, in, in an advanced manner as opposed to just passing in ninth grade. So it, it recommend, I mean, you know, right now, that's, that's the thing. We're just trying to figure out what is the next step? What is it? What is the role of the agency in supporting this success in ninth grade. Mr. Hammond, did you want to? Well, I mean, I have to push back a little again. Uh, you know, we waived the test for third grade for this year for promotion purposes. You know what the cut score is on the end of course or the end of, end of school test for third graders for the purpose of promotion is today? Three. Zero. No, it's zero. That's what the cut score is. You have to score at least a zero on the test to be promoted. That's what the commissioner but, has done. He no, waived the test. No, not in third grade. That was done with House Bill 3. You're wrong there. Okay. Sorry. Um, uh, social promotion, the 28.01, and this was my big bill in 1999 when I worked for Governor Bush, but it was rendered useless by the grade placement committees. I most, for the most part, it kids are getting from promoted. So, you know, so I think that's not even... An but, issue. but the reason the promotion is tied to this is because there are new teaks that are being taught. The teachers have not had a chance to be prepared on how to teach them and what they're going to teach. So to be fair to everyone involved, the children, those in, that are required to instruct them, that's part of it. So be sure and tell the whole story. And, and real quick, because she, I don't know where she went, but uh, there you go. She said she's special education, right. right? Well, you're a special ed teacher. So there is a problem, I can tell you, because I have a 504 child. And we just went through our IEP and ARD meetings last week and, you know, started talking about, you know, the, the problems that, and this will be something I've talked to Commissioner Williams about, of solving, hoping TEA will solve some of the problems that we have. Because the reality is, is that you're combining all kids together and there are some serious problems in the special ed community on the testing and the provisions that are there associated with that. Right. As, for example, you could be provided to be able to use a keyboard uh, when you're taking sure. when you're taking in school, right? Mm -hmm. But there are prohibitions from using that during the standardized yeah, test. Yeah, well, we yeah, I mean, I mean, serious problems, no, no. serious I mean, problems. So we, we the, education. Yeah, I mean, so I wanted to address because you a said a lot special of the work ed. that that has yeah. actually been accomplished in education reform is based upon a special education model, yeah. response to intervention, a mm -hmm. lot of the diagnostics that have been created at the yeah. state level. A lot of that work is, I mean, yeah. special yeah. education. It, it, and it's gotten better in the last. It's gotten better in the last three or four years, but we have a long way. Very high priority for us. Next question. <clears throat> yeah, my name is Mark Miller. Um, I am a recovering engineer. Um, I've spent you know 20 plus recovering years teaching adults in 40 different countries, and I, from 2004 to 2006, I went off and taught algebra one and algebra two here in AISD. 
And what I saw, and by the way, I was highly successful getting my kids to pass the tax test, was 90% of my kids couldn't add and subtract. In other words, if I asked them what 8 plus 3 was, they'd count on their fingers. Now, where is that problem created? And where do I fix it? I'm a recovering engineer. Kindergarten, first, second, third grade, right? So what does the legislature do after I come out? They cut pre-K. So we put a lot of focus here on high schools, but where we should be putting the focus on is down in the early childhood development, first, second, third grade. And by the way, you won't see, you won't see results for another eight, nine, 10 years. Right. Uh, I, I, I get real frustrated with that. Well, uh, if I could just real quick, I mean, the commissioner has, you know, sent in a letter of intent to apply for the pre-K grant right. to help focus on that. The agency has been focused on pre-K for a number of years. We've worked a lot with our state center. Um, and part of the exceptional item that the commissioner is asking for the legislature in reading and writing is to also develop support for pre-K teachers. So I just wanted to throw yeah, that out. One of the, okay, sorry, one of the key pieces is the fact that your first, second, third grade teachers, they're not math science people. Right. right? I, all I was going to say is you're dead on. Right. We, we, dead on. We, we, uh, we support quality pre-K at TAB. And as a matter of fact, we have a conference. I'll plug Next Wednesday at Stephen F. Austin from 10 to 2, if any of you all would like to come on <laughs> quality pre-K. Right. If, if anybody has their attendance stub from uh, this, we'll waive the registration fee That's for right. you. Well, there you go. All right. There you go. It'll be free to you to come. Let me add one thing on the, yeah. pre, on the pre-K. Uh, I, I've attended a, a fellowship class with legislators all across the country this summer um, in, 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 in talking about pre-K and what opportunities there are. And there's a lot of private dollars that are also going into pre-K. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money that is not taxpayer dollars that is out there. But, you know, the fact to say we don't have pre-K, that's not true. You know, um, free and reduced lunch children or <coughs> underage, uh, not underage, um, uh, you know, poverty line, oh, you know, based on yeah. some, you know, ha it's about half the population, mm -hmm. right? Or in, yeah. Bill's, in Bill's number, 60%. There's about 275,000 kids in pre-K. But we're missing the other component, which is, there's a lot of those kids that are also going to the private uh, 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 pre-K institutions or, or early learning educations. And, and I think the goal should be, and one thing that I think we'll start, you know, and I know Umbel's going to start doing this, and I don't know if you're doing this, HD, but they're bringing in the teachers when they're doing their curriculum training now. They're inviting them into their, which is, I think is a good idea. They're bringing them in, training them, and saying, here's our teach. This is what you should be teaching these kids. And so there's a mechanism to be able to start working together with the private sector, I think, and start utilizing those resources. I think that's what we want let's to do with the grant. One more, yep. Let's get him. Thank you. I'm Jim Rice, Fort Bend ISD, Board of Trustees. I think we can all agree uh, that all of us want to have an educated, uh, educate all of our kids and prepare them to be successful. It's just how do we pay for it is what we don't agree on. So in light of that, in light of uh, comments that we've heard at this session and last session about the need for qualified teachers and teacher development. I'm, I'm asking the, the panelists uh, what is their opinion on Judge John Dietz's recent ruling in favor of the school finance lawsuit and what do, uh, what do they anticipate in the next legislative session? Thank you. I'm not coming in here. <laughs> I, I, I'll say this. I fully support Judge Dietz's ruling. Yeah. I knew you would. But what's going to happen? Uh, 
It's funny, Morgan forgot me at the beginning, but now all of a sudden I'm the only one up here. It's only the first inning. Look, I mean, it's simple. It's a very simple thing. You know, and this, I don't mean this to sound partisan in any way, but, you know, it's a judge that's deciding in Travis County that, you know, the whole system is unconstitutional. I will tell you this, though, and I've been very clear on this from the very beginning. I believe the system is inequitable. I think that you have Lowell school districts that are not being funded properly or being funded at the same level that others. And I represent all of my districts. That is what I represent. Um, and, and, and I will tell you the way it works is that, you know, we've got to, I believe, you know, as we go into the next session, the legislature should solve the problem. The judges shouldn't solve the problem. We've been kicking the can down the road. Uh, we've got to, we've got to re- resolve that. The reality is, is that it's going to get appealed to the Supreme Court. There's not going to be a ruling from the Supreme Court. I would expect that we would probably see a special session to deal with this. I know Senator Patrick wants to deal with it, but you can't just fix the problem and say, hey, just give us more money. There's efficiency issues that you've got to deal with. Um, I've, I've looked at statistical information. I can tell you this uh, when I hear school districts say this, and, 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 and I'm being very clear on this as well. We have a responsibility to make sure that we fund growth, and there's some things that we do, and we were criticized in 2011, but everybody survived. Everybody survived. You know, we had to make some tough decisions. But school districts maintain a fund balance of about $12 billion in their fund balances, which the state of Texas, by the way, has about $8 billion in their fund balances. And part of it is because TEA requirements, some audit responses, some, some audit issues associated with that. Um, you have school districts that have 100% fund balance. There's a couple of them here in this area that have a $100 million budget and $100 million in the bank. So. I don't, I don't, I, there's, we have to create some flexibility in that system so that they can, they can utilize those resources. Uh, so I think that what we're going to see is that we are going to make sure that we look at enrollment growth and dealing with some of those others and some of those special issues that we have to, that we have to go forward with. Uh, but I can tell you right now, we've been having meetings and having discussions about formula fixes. And, and, and the problem is, is that there's probably, and Bill, you probably know this, what, maybe four or five people in the legislature that actually understand the formulas. Right. Uh, if that, which... What, and what happens is, is that when the runs come out, when we, when we mean runs after the bill gets processed and the money goes in after it's get appropriated and how it's going to get balanced out, everybody goes, runs to their desk and look and say, what did my school districts get, right? And so, you know, if they say, oh, I'm getting more than I, I'm, I'm getting more than I need, then I, I'm not going to say anything. And then, you know, you have this bat, back and forth. John Otto, uh, last session, who was the uh, chairman of Article Three for Education, did a, did, a, did a good job of trying to get that resolved, which is the reason it went back to the court system, because he said, you know, we have an inequity problem, we're going to deal with that. So um, there's an equity, there's an equity, there's an adequacy issue uh, argument, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't 100% agree with Dietz because he's saying put $10 billion in the system. That's fine. Tell me where the money's going to come from. You know, what, 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 what programs do you want to cut? I think there's efficiency issues, like I've said before, we create more flexibility. We have, you know, cut down the education code, um, allow flexibility in, into what HD can do with his resources. How many reports do you do? Who do you, you know what I mean? On and on and on and on and on. The waste of, the waste of time and resources. So that's what I think is going to happen. Let's get, in, let's get in one more question, and then we'll probably be out of time. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay um, we keep talking about uh, the implementation of HB5. We can argue all day whether we like it or not, but it is law right now. Mm-hmm. And... Within our school right now, I teach seventh grade middle school in Dallas. I, would, I don't think I'd be stretched to say that the majority of middle school teachers have no idea what HB5 even is, if I even walk around to ask them about it. 
And we're talking about the council rate to student ratio is about 400 to 1. We've got to be educating our teachers on what HP5 is as well so they can talk to their students. Because let's be honest, our students are the ones who trust us the most and are going to listen to us and are going to listen to us in terms of their endorsements. So what is it that the agency is doing in terms of ed- broadly educating teachers about HB5 and what the endorsements are so that we can educate our students about them early on so that when they get to high school, they can make proper informed decisions? Well, I can tell you, I mean, the agency isn't the greatest communicator in the world. And we are not a PR firm. That's not part of our mission statement. We are trying to build, you know, materials and guidance around that. But we've seen great materials coming out of the associations. Um, And so it's really about working with our local school districts and really helping them feel comfortable with a lot of this. And I think there are a lot of informed school districts out there. I mean, Dallas is so huge, right? I mean, you've got so many people that need to be touched. And, and it is a matter of trying to figure out how we disseminate that information to the, to the, to, to the classroom level. And you're right. I mean, we, 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 we can produce materials and FAQs, and half the time, you know, if I showed them to my husband, he'd throw them out the window, right? Because he's like, I don't know what this means. That's a, a problem we have. We really have to work with our partners not only at the community level, the district level, but the, and, 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 you know, in our parent level to really kind of help them. And, and it is working with other associations and other groups in the state to disseminate that information. So The, the, the thing that's occurring, because not only are you voicing a concern, but that's the concern in a lot of districts, particularly those in the middle school level or even some high school instructors. Um, I would remind everyone, I'll remind you and I'll remind everyone else, you may not have been around, but when the 4x4 four four went into effect, there was 12 months out there. A lot of us didn't know what the 4 by 4 was. We didn't, we didn't understand what the implications of that were going to be for, for the same reasons you're not, you're not hearing it. I think the agency's role, I'm, I'm not speaking for Lizette or the commissioner, but, but I do believe as an as a, as a end user of the agency's communication, I think the agency could have been a little more aggressive in, the super, in, in making sure that, that, that the communication about what the agency was going to do, how it was going to be impactful, I, I would like to have seen y'all be a little bit more sure. aggressive in that, in that regard. But I don't know when you have as many districts and as many campuses as we have, and this was such a, a robust piece of legislation, uh, there were going to be holes. There were going to be people just like what you're experiencing right now. The thing that I would encourage you to do is make sure you go to your principal, and your principal goes to whoever his or her supervisor is within the Dallas ISD system and start asking questions and making sure that the, those questions are being asked. But I, it's... From an observation, anecdotal perspective, I'm hearing more and more of how it's beginning to filter out. People, people are beginning to figure it out, yep. just like we did with 4 by 4 All right. I think we're going to go ahead and end the panel here. Um, thank you so much to my panelists for our conversation and all of you. Morgan. Morgan. I got I, oh. I knew. Hold on real quick. I knew I was going to be on this panel with Bill, and Bill and I razz each other, and we get along free. You know, I listen to him, obviously. I think Bill's a very bright man, and he cares a lot about the kids, so when I, it's frustrating when I see people get on his case about stuff because all he does, he really does care about the kids, and I know he works hard. No, I'm being, I'm being sincere. Now, this, this is not going to be Absolutely. sincere. So I got this shirt for you, Bill. I want you to hold that up so everybody can see it. We can sign that for you if you like. Okay, thank you. I thought about that. So true, so true. 